Praise God. Martin Luther King, a man with a dream, and uh, we celebrate his life this weekend. And um, I want to talk to you this morning about dreams and visions. And I'm going to ask you to dream a little with me and vision a little with me. Um, you know, uh, here's one dream that you may think about. What would it be like if a day came when Riverside would be free of all debt, that we would be debt-free? I'll come back to that later. See, I want to begin this morning by asking the question, what if what happened in here began to happen in here? Amen? I wonder what would happen if, if what happened in here began to happen in your life. That now, now the, the book becomes not only a history book, but now it becomes an application book. You see, we are intended to apply the Bible to our lives. So what would happen, what would it be like if we could take the Scriptures and live the Scriptures in our day and in our generation? What if we stopped looking at the Bible as a history book and seeing it as a book full of opportunities for us to change our lives and to see great things happening in and through our lives? It's time for us to apply ourselves to the Word of God. You know, the Bible is meant to be read with the thought of application. That means, friends, that I am making decisions that what I read in the book that is called the Bible is now going to apply to my life throughout my life from this day on. It's saying, I want what happened in here to happen in here and through me. I want the Bible to become real to me. Now, how many know if that's going to happen, you do need to read the Bible? Oh yeah, if, you, if you're going to see the Bible apply to your life, you can't apply what you don't read. You can't apply what you don't take into your everyday life. We can't apply on an everyday basis what we've never read in the book. We'll still be just going through life as we did before we knew Jesus, when all the time Jesus intended that we take the truths of the Word of God, the Bible, and now we apply them to our lives and begin to live according to the Word of God. See, it's more than just reading or just listening to a sermon. It's making a decision that I'm going to apply what I read or what I hear to my life. I'm going to start doing what the Bible says. Now, if you decide to do that, I, I want to give you a warning and, and this is a warning that's attached to this sermon this morning. It is that if you begin to seek to apply the Word of God to your life, it's going to get uncomfortable. If it is that you decide that what happens in here is going to happen in here, and if we as a church decide what happens in this book is going to happen in our church, then I want to tell you it's going to get uncomfortable. But it will be worth it. Because this book works. Hey, did you hear me? This book works. 
Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Some of you do. It, it, about six of you do. You believe it. But I want to tell you from personal experience and from the experience of working with others, this book works, friends. When you apply it to your life, it works. When you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus and you're fully committed to his life and you apply the word of God to your life, it just plain works. Now I want to go to a, a, a well-known portion of scripture, it's Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read to you from verse 41 through 46, Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 46. And it says there, these words, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to that day, at uh, that day, about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So here's what happened. Peter, full of the Holy Spirit of God, preached an amazing sermon, and of all those that listened to him that day, 3,000 of them now became devoted followers of Jesus, and they joined his church. 3,000 of them made the decision that they were now going to devote the rest of their lives, and they were going to devote it to Jesus and devoted to his church. How many know for 3,000 to do that, that must have been some preaching that went on that day. What if what happened in here began to happen in here? I want you to note verse 42 it says the word devoted. They devoted themselves. In other words, they didn't become fans of Jesus. They became devoted followers of Jesus. Now, many know what that means. Many know what it means to be devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, they know what that means. But the question is, is that happening in our lives? They weren't simply church members, they were devoted followers of Jesus and his church. And that's why, that's why they now devoted themselves, the scripture says, to learning about Jesus together. They devoted themselves to learning the scriptures together. That's why, that's why now they devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to Jesus and now they devoted themselves to praying together. 
That's why they devoted themselves to Jesus. And now they began to devote themselves to the other followers of Jesus that were in the church as well. The 3,000 plus people that were in the church. And you thought this church was big. I want to tell you. But they devoted themselves to one another. And not only that, it says they were devoted to Jesus and now they devoted themselves to sacrificially giving to help the poor and the broken and the cause of Jesus Christ around the world. There was something about following Jesus that stirred up within them a desire to be like him and to now serve in their community and serve the poor and the broken and the destitute and then the cause of Jesus around the world. They were devoted. They were so in love with Jesus, so passionately committed to Jesus and his church. Hey, hey, what if what happened in here begins to happen in here? And what if, what if, what happened in here begins to happen in here, in my life, in my everyday life. And what if we begin to see devoted followers of Jesus Christ now going into 2017 and we now begin to see things happening in 2017 that happened way back in the first century church Things that happened in here begin to happen in 2017 in Peoria, Illinois and beyond. Now I want to go back a little in Acts chapter 2 and see something that Peter said in his sermon. He actually quotes an Old Testament prophet by the name of Joel. And now, now before, before I get there, can I ask you this morning, I don't want you to answer out loud, I want you to just think about this, but what is your dream? I want you to think about what, if I was to be asked, what is my dream, what would you say? And I want you to think about that. See, for many people in this country, even Christians, some Christians, their dream is that you work as hard as you can, you earn as much as you can so that now you can play as hard as you can in your sports and hobbies and other stuff that invades our lives. It is that now they live like that for a while and they live in a nice place as long as they can and slip into a well-paid retirement. And I can hear somebody saying, well, what's wrong with that? That's the American dream. And friends, I humbly say to you, it may be the American dream, but listen, that's not God's dream for your life. Oh, it may be the American dream, but it's not God's intention for you as a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. See, the American dream is all about this life. But God's dream for you is bigger than that. It's about your life in this life and in eternity. It's a bigger dream. 
The Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul dreamed of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Their dream was Jesus. Their dream was nothing but Jesus. Say his name with me, friends. Jesus. Say it louder. Jesus. Their dream was Jesus. Their dream was their life surrendered to him, their life committed to him, their life devoted to him. They were passionately in love with him, and now they will live in his dream. They will live in the dream of Jesus, and their dream includes the fact that one day they will see him face to face, either by the undertaker or the uppertaker, either by death or by Jesus coming again. The fact is they lived for Jesus. You was what Peter said about the last days followers of Jesus Christ. It's not because I'm getting older, but I want to tell you I believe that Jesus is coming very soon. I believe that the day is coming when Jesus will come again. And so Peter, he quotes the prophet Joel. And, and this is what he says. It says, in the last days, it says, in the last days, your older devoted followers of Jesus will dream dreams. You read that in verse 17, and he's actually quoted in Joel 2.28. And, and, and so it is that he's saying, you are getting older in the faith. Your older people will dream dreams. They will dream about what God wants us to do and what God wants us to be a part of. Not only that, but Peter says there, he says, Joel the prophet also said, and your younger devoted followers of Jesus will see visions. So the young people will be compelled by a vision of their lives being lived on the stretch for God. That it is that young people would be envisioned and compelled by saying, I'm not living for this world's dream, I'm living for the dream of Jesus. I'm living for the vision of Jesus in my life. You see, it is an amazing thing. I, I love it that Joel said this. He said, it's going to be good for the old and the young. The old will dream dreams, the young will see visions. You know, I had to wonder about this and I wondered, what if the dreams and resources of the older and the energy and the vision of the younger would be brought together to further the kingdom of Jesus Christ? What if Older, devoted followers of Jesus now committed their time, their wisdom, and their money and their strength. Now they committed it to seeing the kingdom of God come to earth and God's will done on earth as it's done in heaven. What if the older did that and the younger now came with their vision and their energy and their eagerness to do the will of God and to go wherever he wants them to go? What if the both came together? Oh, well, Peter says, if that happens, you'll have a Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit movement going on. You'll see things happening like you've never seen before. So I've been praying, friends. Oh, I've been praying. I can tell you, I've been praying. 
And I've been praying, God, would you in 2017 raise up in this congregation older women and men who dream big dreams? Would you raise up in this congregation older than women and men that would dream Jesus dreams, city-changing dreams, dreams that are life-changing dreams, world missions dreams, young people encouraging dreams? You know what I found as I've got older? You have to fight off being miserable. Uh, How many know, as you get older, it gets easier to be miserable? Oh, oh yeah. Uh, and, 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 And you get grouchy, you know? You get grouchy. Did you know, you wouldn't believe this, but Riverside has some grouchy, miserable old people. I can say it because I'm old and I say it because I have to fight it off myself. Oh, oh you, you know, friends, I, I, I get it. You know, they, they come and they say, oh, what's all the smoke about? And what about the lights and the music's too loud? And I say, you miserable, grouchy old person. They don't sing the songs we used to sing and they don't do it like we used to do. Have you ever thought about the fact that there are young people who are passionately desirous, uh, that young people like themselves uh, who are taken up with all sorts of stuff may see Jesus in all that we do? I've been praying, oh God, will you raise up the older people who have dreams who say, we're not done yet. Hey, while there's, while there's breath, there's hope, isn't it? Hey, we're not done yet. Oh, oh no, oh, I, I, I know some old people give up on themselves and they don't exercise anymore and they don't, they don't watch what they're eating anymore and, 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 and they let themselves drift away and they, they have more naps than they do awake. They're away, asleep more than they're awake. I'd be happy with that if they were dreaming God dreams, but usually they just sleep and they can't even remember what they dream. But the thing is, friends, that there are older people that say, we're not done yet. We're not finished yet. There's still the kingdom of God to be spread. There are still people to be reached with the gospel. We need, we need all the people that are encouraging young people and not discouraging them. Oh, friends, I, I want to tell you in this generation, in the day and age in which we live, you need to thank God for every young person that decides to follow Jesus and decides to be a part of a church. I want to tell you it's harder than when you were young to follow Jesus. It's harder today than when you were younger. And I want to tell you, you ought to be praying for them. You ought to be believing for them. And you ought to encourage the socks off them. You need to get them going for Jesus and tell them, I'm praying for you. I'm believing for you. If you need someone to talk to, I'm going to be there for you. I've been praying, oh God, give us some older women and men that just live for your dream. And I've been praying, oh God, give us young women and men with Holy Spirit-inspired vision, a vision of their lives stretched out for God, stretched out to the full for Jesus, 
lives that are totally devoted to Jesus and his vision for their lives. I, I want to tell you, friends, if that began to happen, what happened in here will begin to happen in here. And we begin to see things happening that we only ever could have ever dreamed of. So the old men dream dreams. And the young men and women, they see visions. And together we move forward the kingdom of God. So I ask you again, what's your dream? What's your vision? Are you giving yourself totally to that? You know, I, I, I encourage young people. And I, and I tell them, you know... Uh, give yourself totally to God. Be devoted to God and His will for your life. And, and I said, let Him motivate what you do with your life. Let it motivate what college you go to. Let it motivate what university you go to. Let, let it motivate what you do with the rest of your life. So now you're doing what your vision from God is rather than your vision. So that now you're preparing. If God wants you full time in His ministry, you're prepared to do it or whether he wants you at CAD, or whether he wants you in the health service, or whether he wants you somewhere else in the world, whatever it is, you're doing what God wants you to do rather than what you want to do. I had a mother came to me once, and she said to me, I'm a little worried about the way that you're getting our young people excited. And I, and I said, what, what, why are you saying that? And she said, well, <laughs> I've got a plan for my son. And you're messing that plan up. And, and, and I've got a plan for him to go to this school, this school, this school, and do this, do this. And, and he's come home uh, from youth and from church, and he's saying, he's saying, I, 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 I want to I wanna change the plan. I want to give my life totally to Jesus, and I want to serve him for the rest of my days. And he's even, Pastor, he's even, this is how she told me. She says it's getting scary because he's even talking about being a missionary. I said to her, you ought to be thanking God with all your heart that your son's following Jesus and he wants to serve Jesus for the rest of his days. And she didn't win anyway because that guy is on the mission field right now. He's serving Jesus. What's your dream? What's your vision? I want to devote my life to living the dream that Jesus has for my life. You know, there are people then who ask me about my days, the days of my life. They ask me about how I spend my days. And the one thing that I say, you know, is that my days go by quickly. And days go by very quickly. Hey, let me ask you this. What if, what if your dream, our dream, or our vision were motivated how, were motivating how we live the rest of our days? So that now we have this dream and the vision, and now that motivates the way we live the rest of our days. You see, you will either live for your dream or God's dream, and you'll either live for your vision or God's vision. You can't do both. You'll either say, I'm going to do my thing, or you're going to say, I'll do God's thing. 
Uh, you either give your days and that will motivate your days. The way you live your days will either be for your dream, your vision, or God's dream and God's vision. I want to give you some sound advice right now as we go into 2017 for the way that you could spend your days. Biblically backed advice for your days of 2017 and beyond. I'm going to send a, spend a majority of my time on, on one or two things here. Let me, let me ask this. What if, what if in 2017 and beyond we make more of this day of worship? something special about Sundays. Oh, I, I want to tell you, I prayed and fasted and prayed and fasted and cried out to God since the TV started scaring the life out of us that we were going to have an ice storm and, that, and, and I could see it coming. I was going to have to make a decision that I have to, I, I, I hate to make and it's the decision, are we going to do church because of the ice storm? And I was saying, God, don't put me in this place. I want you to keep it off, put it on Monday or someday other. And, and how many know we're here today? Thank God we're here today. Listen, there's something special about Sundays. It's the day here at Riverside that we set aside as God's day of worship. I know in the Old Testament they would have the Sabbath which went from Friday night at 6 o'clock until Saturday night at 6 o'clock. But then Jesus died on the cross, rose again from the dead. And it was that the apostles decided that Sunday would become our day of worship. I want to encourage you and challenge you to make a Sunday uncontested as the day that you set aside for you and your family to commit to worship. So that you say, a Sunday that's set aside, nothing, nothing is going to come against that. It's uncontested. We are setting aside Sunday to worship God. So I encourage you to make Sunday uncontested. I want to kindly say to you, that we will never have seven days fully devoted to Christ unless we have one day fully devoted to Christ and the worship of God. Our people say, well, you know, it can be any day. And I say to them, well, how's that going for you? You say, well, and I say, what, what, what day do you give then? And they can never tell me what day they give. They said, well, it can be any day of the week. I said, yeah, but what day do you give then? When it's fully devoted to God, what day do you give? They can never tell me. Because, see, they're messing about with me. <laughs> they don't want to commit. They're saying, we are fully devoted followers of Jesus, but we don't commit one day to him to give him worship. Now, I, I did tell you, didn't I? It gets uncomfortable when you decide what it says in here, we're going to live in here and we're going to live in our lives. 
as I start out my 2017, I want to make better use of my Sundays. Not only in coming to church, I, even when I get home after church, I want Sundays to be more holy. You know what the holy, word holy means? It means set apart for God. That's what holy means. And I want my Sundays to be more holy for me and my house for year on out. Now, one thing I do that I think is really holy, and that is that on Sunday afternoon I have a nap so I can dream. Because your old men shall dream dreams. <laughs> but, but the thing is this, friends. I want, I want a day that I can say to God, this is your day. I'm not doing it because of rules or laws or regulations. I'm doing it because I love you. And I want one day, one day that's not invaded by telephone messages and, and invaded by this and that and the other. I, I want a day that I'm giving totally to you. Hey, parents. Hey. Can I mention this especially to parents? How many parents are in the, in the house this morning? You are parents here today. Good. Great to see you. I want you to know this. Right now, I, right now, your kids are not being babysat. They are being ministered to. And, and I've got to be honest with you, we're trying to indoctrinate them. Oh, yeah, we're trying to get Jesus real to them. Oh, oh yeah, listen, you, we've, got, we've got teachers that are out there that give up being in here to be out there with your kids because they want them to know Jesus. They want them to follow Jesus. And we are working so that they will know about Jesus. We want them accepting Jesus. We never want them to follow anyone but Jesus. We want your kids to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I started to work it out, and there are 676 weekends between your child turning five and turning 18. I, uh, this is so important if you're a parent. You have 676 weekends from your child turning five to when your child now turns 18. 676 weekends, that's all you've got. It is all that you've got. That's 670 weekends in which your child is old enough to learn from the Word of God and still under your care. I've got a challenge for you. Hey, this is your challenge, parents, right? And, 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 and please know this comes from a loving pastor. But listen, I challenge you today as a parent, what if, what if from 2017 on, realizing that God has given you 670 weekends to influence and raise your child or children for God, that you make a commitment to God and to your children that they will be in church with you at least 500 of the 676, that it will be, you, there will be at least 500 weekends they'll come here so your child can be indoctrinated, so your child can be told of Jesus, so that your child can grow to be like Jesus, so that your child can follow Jesus. You know, my kids were brought up with them being at our side in church. 
whereas with any family, there's no guarantees that all of them will follow through to do the same with their children. I'm glad to say that the majority of my kids and grandkids are at church at least one service each weekend. I want to tell you something about my kids. The 500 weekends that I committed to God, they'll be in church with me. They went by like that. All my kids are grown up and out of the house now. And I want to tell you the weekends that I had to influence them from five until 18. Oh, friends, it went like that. It just flew. And, and, and you're left wondering, where did all those weekends go? I, I beg you, I beg you for your family's sake, for your children's sake, accept the 500 weekend challenge. 500 out of the 676 that you will have them under your care because I want to tell you it'll go like that for you. It'll be soon gone. It'll go like that. I, I want to challenge you that you will say, hey, I'm going to at least 500 weekends, they're going to be in the house of God with me. They're going to be worshiping God and they're going to be influenced by the gospel of Jesus Christ through loving teachers who teach them. Make it a priority. I told you it'd get uncomfortable. I tell you, it may cost you. If you decide, I'm going to have my child in church on the day that we give to God, at least 500 weekends, I'm going to tell you it'll cost you. It'll cost you in some sports programs. Might save you a bit of money. It'll cost you in that your kids are not going to like it at times and, and they're going to say so-and-so is able to do it and, and, and you're going to have to stand your ground and it's going to give you some hassle. You're going to get hassle from them. You'll have sports people, coaches after you saying, why are you doing this? They've got great potential. And Hey, I want to tell you something. It's a minority of people that, that finally end up in some professional sports team. Did you know that? But the thing is this. That you will get hassle and you'll find it very difficult at times. But I promise you, when you stand before Jesus one day, when we all have to give an account, Jesus will look very big and sports will look very small. And I promise you, I promise you this, that your child or your children one day will come and thank you for your insistence that they were in church with you, that they will thank you because you've influenced them and you've shown them the way and now they're following Jesus with you and they will say thank you for not listening to us and not listening to the crowd, but committing to God that you would bring us up in the fear and nurture of the Lord. See, friends, I don't know whether you did, but on the day that you stood before some pastor and you handed your baby or your child to that pastor for dedication, you were making a promise of stewardship and you were making a promise to keep. You were saying, I want my child blessed in the growing years. And I make the promise that I will make sure that they're brought up in the fear and nurture of God. 
And God was listening to that. It wasn't just the church ritual that was going on when your child was dedicated to the Lord. When you were dedicating your child to the Lord, God was watching you. And as it was that that child was blessed and prayed over, that in the growing years, that child would grow in their knowledge of Jesus Christ and that it would grow in the fear and nurture of the Lord. God was sure in your heart where you were saying, I promise God, I promise I will steward this child so that he's, he comes under the sound of the gospel, that she is in the place where she's going to learn about Jesus. I promise you that, God. When you brought your child, God was saying, okay, it is a starting point. Your child has 676 weekends from the age of five, but you must steward your child. 500 weekends is not too much to ask that your child will come and worship and learn of me. Hey, what if you made that commitment today? And I wonder what would happen. What would happen if what happens in here begins to happen in here? So today, I've challenged you to show your devotion to Christ as Lord of your dreams and visions. Some of you have lost your dream and lost your vision. God has not forgotten and he's not changed his mind. Take it as a prophetic word into your life. God has not changed his mind. You may have changed your mind. You may have redirected in some other way. God has not and he is saying, I want to come and revive in you that dream, that vision. I want you to know that I still believe in you. And I still believe you can see that dream come to pass. So God's saying, where are my devoted people? Devoted to my vision for their lives, my dream. And what if we showed devotion to God as Lord of our days. You're Lord of my dreams and you're Lord of my days. My time is in your hands. Oh God, I'm going to give my days to you. I'm going to live my days for you. And then one other thing, and we'll be out of here, friends, that I wanted to ask you. What if we showed our devotion to Christ as Lord of our dollars? And I just saw a load of guys go, he's after my money. No, I'm not. There's not going to be a second offering, so relax. You know, as I start this new year, I'm asking, how am I stewarding my money? See, the Bible says that our money goes where our heart is. I heard somebody say this week, he says, if I should go through your checkbook or your bank account, I'll know where your heart is. There's some people, their hearts belong to Starbucks. There's more money goes to Starbucks than goes to God. And there are, well, I'm not going to go on about that, but where your money goes is where your heart is. Your heart will direct your money. It is that your money will go where your heart is. about you, but as I get closer to the day when I will stand before God, how I'm stewarding my 
dream and how I'm stewed in my days and how I'm stewed in my dollars becomes really important. You know, for many years, Letty and I, um, we faithfully tithed 10% of our income to God. And to be honest with you, we got used to it. We hardly thought about it. But suddenly we got challenged by the fact that if we really believed for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, if we really believe that Jesus is our vision, that we're not caught up in some American dream, we're caught up in the God dream that he has for our lives. That we're not caught up in some stuff dream, more stuff, more this, more that, better this, better that. That, that it is that now we, we said if we really believe that it's Jesus first, Jesus in the middle, and Jesus at the end. And things, we had to review what we were doing. We decided that how we handle our money will reflect our vision and our passion. I asked myself this question. Why am I only giving to God one dollar out of every ten that he blesses me with? So I tell you what we do each January now, we set a target of what we would like to give to God and his cause around here and around the world. And then we work the rest of our budget around that. At the end of the year, what would I like to see that I've given to God and his work and his kingdom around the world? And, and then I work my budget around that. God first, 10% is the minimum, not the maximum. And we watch God do miracles with the rest. It gets pretty exciting, I can tell you. You know, back in the early church, there were a couple, in that 3,000 people that got saved on that day of Pentecost, there was a couple that devoted themselves as followers of Jesus Christ. Their names were Ananias and Sapphira. They were a married couple who started well, but they got trapped into thinking that God doesn't notice or care at the way that we live our Christian lives. When in fact, he very much does care. Well, they were among this crowd who were selling their possessions and they were bringing the money and they were laying at the apostles' feet for the spread of the gospel around the world. People who were selling everything that they had, bringing the money, laying it at the apostles' feet and saying, we want the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. Well, well they decided that they would sell a plot of land that they had and bring the money and put it at the apostles' feet. But as that was all working out, they got to a state of seeing just how much the land was worth, and they decided between themselves, no one else will know, we'll keep back part for ourselves, and we'll bring the rest and lay it at the apostles' feet. Well, they did it, and, and the guy, he comes to church, and he comes up to Peter, and he lays this money at the apostles' feet. And Peter said to him, Is this all the money that you had for your land? And the guy said, Yeah, that's all the money we got for our land. And Peter 
by the Holy Spirit, he said, you're, you're a liar. I often think what I would have done, you know. But he said, you're a liar. And you're not lying to me, you're lying to God. And I kid you not, friends, I tell you what happened, I kid you not, the guy dropped down dead on the floor. You can read it, Acts chapter 5, you read about it. Well, well, the thing was, they picked this guy up and they carried him out. And now his wife comes in. His wife was late, and I, I'm not going to say anything with regard to that. But um, she was late, and she came in, and she came up to Peter, and, um, and, and he asked her the question, is this all the money? And she said, yep, yep, all the money. You've had all the money. And, and, and the fact is that Peter said to her, you're a liar too. And the men that carried your husband out are coming to carry you out. And she dropped dead on the spot. Listen, friends. We can get to a place where we're living below what we promised to God. You need to know when you make promises to God, he takes it very seriously. The vows that we make, the promises that we make to God, he takes it very seriously. And the fact is that we can get to a place where we are living below the promise that we made to God. You know, I'm sure Ananias and Sapphira would have argued if they'd been around a little while. And they said, well, we're giving more than so-and-so. We're giving more than those people and this one and that one. We're doing more than they are. Hey, listen, friends, when you get to the place where you're trying to get reasons as to why you're not giving to God what you promised to God, you're in trouble and you can never win. And you may not die physically, but you'll die spiritually. Something dies when we break promises that we've made to God. What if in 2017... We all showed our devotion to Christ as Lord of our God. Oh God, direct me in the use of my God. You know, way back in the year 2000, a small group of people made a decision to buy this building. It was in a, a terrible state. And um, they raised what they could back then and raised nearly a million dollars. But it wasn't enough, and so they had to take out a mortgage on this building. And they prayed for the day when we would be debt-free. Well, a few years later, about two or three years later, they were challenged by God again to buy an old building that was known as the YMCA. And again, they did what they because they believed that in the heart of this city God wanted a church but he also wanted a dream center you know when we came into the city I had pastors saying to me why are you going into the city if you go out into the suburbs you'll have richer people coming you'll have other people coming that will be able to finance you'll have a bigger church more people will come there than come into the city and on and on they went and, and I just had to say to them Hey, it's just the small little matter. It's where God told me to plant the church. Right in the heart of the city. 
It's where God told me to care for the broken and the poor and the destitute and people that maybe would not be welcomed in many churches that God says you must welcome them, you must love on them, you must care for them and you must treat them like anyone else that's in the church whether they are rich or poor. Bring them in. Well, we took that YMCA building and again they raised a million dollars to renovate, remodel that building. And again, as they did with this building, they dreamed of a day when they might be debt free. They just believed that God wanted them in the city. They gave what they gave and they raised the mortgage on the rest and dreamed of the day when they would be debt free. Well, I wanted you to know this morning that on December the 27th, I signed a paper that made Riverside and the Dream Center debt free. We've been working on passing on a, a church building that we owned that was called the Oaks. And uh, to be honest with you, we'd been given this building called the Oaks uh, Christian Church. And, um, uh, and we had to do work on it because it, it, it wasn't up to par didn't meet standards and so we put $300,000 into that building. Together with that building though, there was six, uh, two and a half acres of land. Is it two and a half acres? There's a lot of land. And on it were these homes for the elderly. You had to be 55 and over to live there and we took on the responsibility of them homes and, um, and, and we've looked after them for a number of years but we came to the place where we said, you know, we believe that there's some of the church that would be better having that building and also better at looking after, not better at looking after the people, I want to tell you, we looked after them well, but would do it as a mission and a vision that they had that maybe we didn't have now. And so we started negotiating with a church called Morning Glory Community Church. Oh, one other thing I needed to tell you was when we got that church, when we first got it, we not only got the church free, we also got $10,000 that were in the bank account of that church. And so we got to the place now of negotiating with Morning Glory Community Church and we said to them, we've had the whole thing valued and it's valued at $2.5 million, $2 million, $2.5 million. And they said, but we had all that given to us. Um, and the church was given to us, but we've put $300,000 into the church and all we want to charge is $300,000 so that we get our money back for the church. Well, they agreed with all that and actually they've been renting the place before they bought it and over the last six months or so, they have doubled their numbers, friends, since they've been in that building, doubled their numbers. Well, on that day that we signed for that church and they paid $300,000, which cleared all the debt that we had, I said to them, you know, when we got this church, 
there was $10,000 in the bank. And that day, I made a check out, gave it to them from Riverside for $10,000 because I want to be righteous before God. And um, so what if in 2017, it became the year of dreams and visions coming to pass. In the next few weeks, we're going to do this series called What If, and we're going to bring challenges for this church into 2017. And, 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 and it's a challenge for the church and for the Dream Center and for world missions. And I promised Ken Palmer I'd say this. Ken Palmer is Mr. Brazil. He takes all our trips to Brazil for us. We've got a mission trip going to Brazil in March, and we are two people short for that trip. We need two more people. And uh, if you can speak Spanish, and also if you're a builder uh, of some kind or you're handy with your hands, you would be excellent for this trip. You must have a up-to-date passport. Um, if you go, Riverside will pay 25% if it's your first trip. They will pay 25% of the trip and we'll give you ideas of how you can raise the rest of the money as well. Ken is going to be in the foyer after uh, church here, and um, uh, you can talk to him about it. He wanted me to mention that to you. Already, you know, Ken Palmer has gone down to Brazil, I, I think about 17 or 18 years, and, and we, have, we have built in the Amazon jungle, um, I think it's getting up close to 20 churches in the Amazon uh, because of the goodness of God and your help with that. If you want to go on that trip, have a word with Ken after the service. But in the next few weeks, you're going to hear about further vision that we have for worldwide evangelism. So what if this morning, what if this morning we showed devotion to Christ by saying, Jesus, I make you the Lord of my dreams and the Lord of my your old men will dream dreams. Your young men and women will see visions. If you're saying that this morning, you're serious about it. You're seriously saying, God, I want my devoted life to be given to you, and I make you the Lord of my dreams and the Lord of my visions. Will you stand where you are right now? And while you're standing, let me go on a little bit more. What if we show devotion to Christ by saying, Jesus, I make you the Lord of my days. I give you every day of my life. And God, I'm especially going to give you that day of worship every week. I'm going to be in your house with my kids, worshiping you. And what if we now showed our devotion to Christ by saying, I'm going to make you the Lord of my dollars. God, if you're asking 10%, I want to be obedient. And you may say, 10% frightens me right now. Well, start with one. 1%. Work up to it. I promise you'll not outgive God. Do you hear me? You'll not outgive God. But give more than what you've been given. Just say, God, I'm giving it to you. You know when these buckets go around, friends, you don't want to think you're giving to Riverside. Oh, Riverside has the responsibility of stewardship of that money. But I want to tell you, 
God has given us the stewardship and he is saying, when people give, they're giving it to me. So you better be careful how you're handling that money. And we take it very, very responsible the way that the money's handled here at Riverside. Saying, God, I want you to be the Lord of my dollars. For some of you, if you get giving to God right, your finances are going to come right. Believe it. Here I am, Lord. So I thought we'd end today uh, by singing a song. We sang it already this morning. It's a great song. But only sing it if you mean it. You see, you're standing on your feet right now, but maybe you just got up because everybody else got up and you didn't want to be seen sitting down. Well, let me tell you this. God saw you get up. And the person next to you and the people around you are not going to keep you to the promise you just made God is. He'll keep you to your promises. If you're on your feet now and you're saying, God, it all scares me and it's uncomfortable. Oh God, I don't know how it's all going to work out. And Oh God, as I face the fury of not doing sports on Sunday, as I face... Oh, God, you've got to keep it in my mind. 500 weekends, give them to God. You've got to keep it in my mind. One day I've got to stand before you and give an account for the way that I've spent my days, the way that I've worshipped you. Well, friends, I believe in grace, but grace does not take away responsibility. And we made promises to God that need to be kept. Here I am, Lord. You're the king of my life. Let's sing this. And after we sing it, we're out of here. God bless you and thank you for listening so well.